invite you to take your Bible this morning and let's look in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Grateful to God that He comes to us in our sin and uh, He takes that old man and He crucifies it and puts it to death and He gives us new life in Him and uh, He infuses us with spiritual life that we did not before possess and He gives us eternal life that will never end. And I'm grateful to God uh, that He does what no one else could ever do in giving us new life. Well, we've uh, been looking in the book of Ephesians, walking through this book together. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about qualities of a healthy church. Now, again, notice that we're talking about a healthy church. We're not really talking about a growing church because not everything that is growing is healthy. You go to the doctor and they say you've got a growing tumor, that is not healthy. So not everything that is growing is healthy. We're talking about a healthy church. But rest assured, when the church is healthy, it will be growing. When it's healthy, it will be growing. Now, I'm afraid that in the, church, in the current church culture, much of what is growing is not healthy. You know, it's easier to draw a crowd than it is to build a church. It's easier to draw a crowd than it is to build a church. And it seems like that attending church in 2017 is kind of like a spectator experience where you essentially go to watch what happens. As you know, this is the most narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-centered culture that America has ever known in its history. And churches have decided to tap into that kind of thinking and make everything about the experience. And so in essence, many churches have become entertainment centers where certain forms of religious entertainment are displayed for people to sit in a room and watch the event take place. Sounds more like a circus than a church, doesn't it? And before we say, oh, you know, that's just those churches with smoke and lights and bands and all that. No, it's not just those kind of churches. Even traditional churches can become more of a spectator experience. Churches have become preoccupied with meeting people's felt needs, satisfying their wants. And many churches have decided they're not going to ask people to serve. They're not going to ask people to get involved. They're not going to ask people to make sacrifices because that might make people uncomfortable. It might raise the bar of expectation to a biblical level, and people wouldn't want to be held to that level of expectation, and that might send them out the back door to another place where they don't have such a high standard. I uh, was reacquainted this past spring with a longtime friend um, from high school, he serves on the staff of what would be termed a mega church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And they have some standards that they expect of their people, of the people who would join their church. And they have three things that are non-negotiable. You need to be saved and baptized by immersion before you can join their church and take their membership class. Number two, you have to be a part of a small group. It's not even a negotiable. You have to be, in order to be a member, now you can attend, but if you're going to be a member of the church, you have to be a member of a small group. And then number three, 
You have to have a place of ministry within the body of Christ. You can't be a member unless you meet all three of those criteria. But there would be many who would shy away from that kind of standard and say, well, if we raise the bar to a biblical level of, of, of saying that we need to do those things, then, then people might not want to come. They're finding the, the converse of that to be true. But many churches have adopted the mentality, we're not going to raise the bar of expectation. We're just going to let people be freeloaders. But you know, through the ages, the church has basically been carried on the backs of those who are purposely and relentlessly self-sacrificing. Of those who would say, I'm not in it for me. It's not about me and what I'm getting or not getting. It's not about how the church can serve me or how it can minister to me or how it can meet my needs. I believe that I'm a part of the church to help build the body of Christ. I'm a part of the church to minister to other people. I'm a part of the church to take care of other people's needs, not just be consumed with my own. The church is being carried on the backs of people who are in it not for themselves, but for Jesus and for others. So while the modern church may have changed in its approach to doing church, God's approach has not changed. God still calls the church to be a fellowship of people who selflessly and humbly give their lives away to one another and to those who are still in need of Christ. And here in Ephesians 4, he shows us qualities of a healthy church. We saw in verses 1 through 6 that unity is one of those qualities. We saw in verses 7 through 10 that diversity is one of those qualities. In verse 11 through 13, we see another quality of a healthy church, and that's the one that we want to concentrate on this morning. Because I believe that God would have every Bible-believing, New Testament, blood-bought, born-again body of believers to be a healthy body. I don't know about you, but I like it when my body physically is healthy. And I don't like it when it's unhealthy. Well, I believe that Christ loves it when His body is healthy. But doesn't like it when it's unhealthy. And so we want to strive to do all that we can to be sure that we are a healthy body of believers. Verses 11 and 12 and 13. Those will be our text this morning. If it's physically possible, I invite you to stand with me today in honor and in reverence the reading of God's holy and errant and Bible inspired word. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, the Bible says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Father, I ask and pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would sovereignly take over in this place. I pray you would take over in my life. I pray you'll take over in every life in this room. And I pray, God, you would illuminate truth to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would draw near to you, knowing that you will draw near to us. I pray, Lord, that we would seek to not only hear your word, but Lord, to allow the weight of your word to bear on our life. 
And God, that we would make sure that our life is in alignment with your word. Help us not to be a people who are self-centered, self-absorbed, and narcissistic, but help us to be a people who live for the glory of God and for the good of others. God, pray that you would um, reorient us or orient us or renew us, God, around your purpose and plan for your church. And God, I, I pray that you would accomplish your will in every one of our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. invite you to be seated. So, what's another quality of a healthy church? What is it that Paul refers to here in these verses? Well, a healthy church is going to be characterized by ministry. It's been characterized by unity, by diversity, and now he says ministry. Verse 7 affirms that everyone has been given at least one spiritual gift. If you've trusted Christ, if you belong to Jesus, he's given you a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are not natural talents. Natural talents are abilities that you were born with by natural birth. But spiritual gifts are abilities that you have been entrusted with by spiritual birth. God gave them to you upon you trusting in Christ. And so that means that you are not an accident in the family of God, the body of Christ. You're, you're not an accident. You're not a, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, an appendix, uh, you know, something that might not be necessary, but that every single one of us have a role to play. We all have an important part to play. We all have a purpose within the family of God. By God's grace... He not only saves you and me, He separates you and me and uh, for Himself and for His service. Now remember, we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. And it's important for us to know that God saves us and He separates us, not because He needs us, but because we need Him. God doesn't need us. We need Him. And here's the reality. We live in a community and we live in a world full of people who need Jesus. As important as education is, we don't need more education, we need more Jesus. As important as a good economy is, we don't have to have a better economy, we need Jesus. So God hasn't saved you and separated you and gifted you with this spiritual gift because He needs you, but because you need Him. And God giving you and I this spiritual gift has given you a sense of purpose. A purpose that will influence other people's lives for the cause of Jesus Christ. So God extends grace to you Not only so you can experience His grace, but so that you might be a channel through which others experience His grace. Remember, the gospel got to you on its way to somebody else. God allows you and me to experience His grace so that we in turn are a channel for other people experiencing that grace. God's given you a spiritual gift so that you can be a channel, a useful channel, by which other people, by which God's grace flows through you 
into the lives of others. Is everybody all right this morning? Are y'all on football hangover? Um, I mean, are y'all on Saturday hangover? I mean, everybody all right? I mean, y'all, well, everybody seems just kind of a little. The Cowboys won. The Sooners won. I mean, everybody ought to be all right. So everybody, everybody's tuned in, engaged. We're all paying attention. We believe God's got something for us this morning. We're not here by accident, but by divine appointment. And God's got something He wants to do, right? Amen? Everybody's, we're all locked in. All right, I want to make sure. I've got, we just give the benediction if we were not locked in. But because we're all locked in, we'll continue on. When we come to verse 11 of Ephesians 4, the gifts that are named are not gifts given to people, they're people given to the church. He says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. The he in verse 11 is emphatic. It could be translated, he himself. So he, speaking of Christ, he and, and no one else has given these servants, these gifts to the church. The apostles and prophets were foundational gifts given to the church. The, an apostle, in the technical sense, refers to the twelve that were appointed by Christ himself. Those first twelve Apostles, but in a general sense, it refers to anyone who is sent. So sent ones, it could be applied to our missionaries or church planters. So anyone who is sent maybe falls in this category of apostle. Apostle are those who carried the gospel message with God's authority, oftentimes where the message had not been proclaimed or heard. So they went to unreached people groups unreached, unengaged people groups, taking the message of the gospel so that those who had never heard the name of Jesus could hear the name of Jesus and respond to him in faith. So the apostles are those who were sent prophets were foretellers more so than future tellers. They were bold proclaimers of God's revelation. They declared God's word to God's people. They probably reveal God's will or God's word to the church before the canon was complete. So before they had the completion of the books of the Bible in their hand, the prophets were probably those who declared God's revelation to the people. So those first two gifts were foundational gifts to the church, but the second two that he mentions are perpetual gifts to the church. Evangelists are the obstetricians of the church. They're gifted in bringing about new births. And some, like Billy Graham, are gifted at sharing the gospel before large groups of people and seeing them respond in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Others are gifted in sharing the gospel, sharing their faith more of a one-on-one nature. But all of those who have this gift of the evangelist are characterized by the ability to share the gospel clearly and articulately and in such a fashion that people respond in faith. 
They just have the gift of God on their life to share the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ. There's been a number of times through the years that we've had an evangelist come to church, our pastor. They get up and preach the same gospel that I've preached for weeks, months, and years, and they give the invitation, and all of a sudden people flock to the altar, and I think, good God, I've shared the gospel 30 times and nobody came. They come share it once, and 30 people come. Why? Because they have the gift of the evangelist. And the evangelist is the gift uh, to the church. October 8th, we're having revival in our church. We have an evangelist who's coming. That evangelist is God's gift to the church. And so as we began this process today of praying toward this day of revival, we're praying for that evangelist that God would use him, fill him with the Spirit, anoint him as he preaches, and use him to be a gift by which people are called out of sin and unto salvation to call people so that the old man dies. And they brought to new life. So gospel evangelists are obstetricians of the church, but pastors and teachers are the pediatricians of the church. And pastors and teachers, really better translated, would say pastor-teachers. The gifts are related. If you read this verse in the Greek language, the and between pastors and And teachers is different than all the other ands in this verse. So it tells us that there's a distinction. That there's a union here. There's not a contrast. Pastor, teacher. The gifts are related. But some pastors will be a little stronger shepherds. Some will be a little stronger teachers. And God gives the guy that he believes that church needs at that time for that moment. Sometimes God brings a pastor who's a little stronger shepherd because God sees that's the greatest need in the life of that church at that time. Sometimes God brings someone who's stronger at teaching and so God sees that that is the greatest need for his body, his bride at that time. And we have to trust the all-knowing, omniscient wisdom of God to know what his body needs at that particular time. Pastor teachers are the speedy, spiritual pediatricians. They are the ones who lead and feed and protect the flock. Now, a shepherd, which is the word there for pastors, poimen, shepherds had a staff. Teachers, they had a textbook. Well, what's the tool of a pastor teacher? It's the Bible. That's the tool. When I was a junior in high school, I took chemistry. And our chemistry teacher made us memorize the periodic table. But she gave us these copies of the periodic table and she said, these are your plungers. And we all thought that was weird. Here we are, high school juniors, why are you calling the periodic table of elements? Why are you calling it a plunger? She says, just like a plumber needs a plunger, if you're going to be in chemistry class, you got to know this periodic table of elements. And so she likened this very common and useful tool for this trade 
to this periodic table of elements to say, hey, just like they need this, you need this. Well, this is the tool of a pastor teacher. The Bible, the Word of God is the staff that guides and disciplines the sheep. Here's my commitment to you. You will almost never see me stand behind this pulpit that I will not be carrying this book. There's a reason for that. Because I believe that what God has revealed in this word is more important than the the word that I would share on my own volition. If you're going to encounter God and if you're going to experience life-changing transformation, it's going to happen because of you encountering God in this Word. Another reason. I don't believe in a bully pulpit. What do you mean by that, preacher? I don't think my responsibility as a pastor is to stand up here and beat God's people up. I believe my purpose is to stand flat-footed, chest out, and preach God's Word. Because it's with this Word that God is going to lead, guide, and protect His people. So uh, as, as a shepherd, the Word of God is the staff that guides and disciplines the sheep. And sometimes God's Word disciplines us, doesn't it? It calls our sin into account. We gotta make, you know, we've gotta, we've gotta give a response. So the word of God is this staff, but the word of God is also the local church's protection and provision. And hear me really close. No amount of entertainment, no amount of good fellowship, no amount of other religious substitutes can take the place of the Word of God. Now, I understand. I'm a person, I particularly prefer sweet tea when I drink beverages. Sweet tea's my... And and here's the thing. I want real sugar in it. I don't need your Splenda, your Equal. I don't need your Sweet and Low. I want sugar. You say, well, it's bad for you, preacher. You just mind your own business. But here's what I know. Sweet and low, substitute. Equal, substitute. Splenda, substitute. Substitute for what? The real thing. Sugar. Entertainment. In the pl- on the platform, what is it? Substitute for the Word of God. Good fellowship. What is it? Substitute. For the Word of God. So, the Word of God has to be center. It, ha- it has to be of most, of utmost significance. I mean, for years, y'all, most of y'all are old enough to remember this. Baptists were known by what? We are a people of the blood, the book, and the blessed hope. Right? I mean... Y'all been around long enough, y'all have heard that probably. We're, we're to be a people of the book. Because what God has told us in His Word matters more than anything 
else. More than anything else. And for God's people to be healthy, for His body to be healthy, we need a steady diet of the Word of God. Steady diet of the Word of God. It's interesting if there's one thing that characterizes all four of the gifts to the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There's one thing that characterizes all of those. It's teaching. Apostles taught. They taught people about Jesus, about the gospel. Prophets, they taught people about God's revelation to the, to the body. Evangelists, they teach God's people about Jesus. Crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, coming again. Pastor, teacher, preach, teacher, teaching God's word, what God has given to his people. And teachers don't simply impart information. They don't simply open up new ways of thought. They urge their hearers to live by what they teach. You see, that, that's where the rubber kind of meets the road in the Christian life is that I don't, e- I don't only need to know what does the Bible say, I need to know what does the Bible say, and then I need to put that into practice. And that's true for every single one of us. It's the primary purpose of biblical teaching. Not just to impart new information, but to apply that and live by what God's told us in His Word. Now, God's given gifted leadership to the church, which we see in verse 11, but He's done it for a clear purpose, which we see in verse 12. He does it for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Three henna clauses in the Greek language tells us there's some purpose that's here. That, that the reason why God has given us these, these, these gifted leaders is, first of all, for the equipping of the saints. This is a watershed text for the doctrine of the church. It effectively eliminates the pyramid model of the local church with the pastor perched up on a pinnacle like the Pope and all of the laity um, beneath him on uh, various layers of inferiority. It also shoots down the model of the bus. Um, where the local pastor does all the driving while the congregation are passengers slumbering in peaceful serenity and security behind him. The biblical model of the body of Christ is that pastors and teachers would equip, and, and evangelists, would equip the saints for the work of service. Because we all have a part to play in the building up of the body of Christ. And all of the parts are equally important. Every member of minister is a worthy motto, motto for any church. I, I like what one of our deacons messaged me last Sunday afternoon. Hey, maybe a theme for next year could be saved to serve. That's a worthy goal. We've been saved to serve. Every member a minister, that's a biblical Model. And so God has given these gifted leaders to the church for the equipping of the saints 
for the work of service. That's another reason I really believe that we have to preach God's Word. Because the best way to equip the saints, and really the only way, is with the Word of God. The word equip, it's translated in our English Bibles as a verb. In the Greek New Testament, it's a noun. It really means to put in place like setting a broken bone or to be made complete. John Piper, he said, So the point of verses 11 and 12 is that Christ not only gives grace to each believer in the church, He also gives leaders to the church whose job is to repair what is broken and supply what is lacking in believers. So you think about the implications here and how significant this is for the nature of the church. Each one of you, every person I'm looking at that has given their light to Jesus Christ, you've been gifted by God with varied grace. God has given to you a measure of grace. He's given you a spiritual gift. And yet you've been graced by God with this gift, but not so perfectly that you are not in need of fixing and supply by spiritual leaders that God has given to the church, namely apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Now, so nobody can say, I am gifted and graced by Christ himself. I have no need of spiritual authority. I have no need for evangelistic training. I have no need for pastoral nurture. I have no need for human teachers to apply the Bible in my life. Nobody can say that. The fact that you are gifted proves that you're vitally needed by the church. And the fact that you and I are fallen is proof that we need the church. Y'all didn't hear that. The fact that you are gifted proves that you are needed by the church. But the fact that you are fallen proves that you need the church. Every one of us. We all need the body of Christ. We all need a little fixing. I don't know that I'd ever seen it until this past week. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be blameless, perfect, thoroughly equipped. I mean, it's... Different translations say different things. But I latched onto that translation where it says thoroughly equipped. And I thought, if it's the Word of God that makes us thoroughly equipped, that would seem to imply that without it, I'm not thoroughly equipped. And so God has given us His Word, and He's given us messengers of His Word, so that you and I might be thoroughly equipped. So what is the purpose of equipping the saints? He says it, secondly, the second hint of clause, verse 12. For the work of service. You and I, we all have a work of service. All have a ministry that's grounded in the spiritual gifts that God's given us. God gave you the gift of service, the gift of helps, the gift of mercy, the gift of administration, 
um, the gift of teaching. He, he gave you that gift because He wants to utilize you in that ministry within the body of Christ. And God's given pastors to the church who are supposed to equip the saints for the work of service. The saints do not call a pastor to do the work of the ministry. They call him and they follow his leadership as he, through the word, equips them for the work of ministry. It was a while back. Um, Sometimes people confuse the offering plate for a suggestion box. And almost every time they do that, um, it's an anonymous deal. So if you've ever done that, just so you know, I did get it. Um, I don't, you know, but nonetheless, people confuse the offering plate for a comment suggestion box sometimes. Well, some time ago, uh, I got one of those. And it, 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 you know, expressed some displeasure with me and another staff member and this and that. And then they put on there, I thought you worked for us. And I, I, I read that and I thought, I have a hard, hard time seeing how that lines up with the Scripture here. Because the, the Scripture says that we work for the Lord, called by Him, powered by Him, trusted by Him, to lead His peoples, God would see fit. But God entrusted that we would equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So God doesn't call a staff member or a pastor or whatever. He doesn't call them for them to do all the work of ministry. He calls them to equip others for the work of service. Equip some do that. Now I'm just going to bear my soul to you right here. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. So for a long, long, long time, I changed my own oil, did all my own car maintenance, still do a good amount of that, my own car maintenance. Um, Stuff around our house, if it needed to be done, instead of calling somebody who knew what they were doing, I would just try to figure it out. So have y'all seen the sign down the street? It says, we fix what your husband tried to repair. Okay. Okay, I was that guy. Still kind of am that guy. You know, create a bigger mess than we had to start with. Kind of a do-it-yourself. Don't want to ask anybody for help. Don't want to ask anybody to do it. I just soon go take care of it myself. But here's what the Lord has taught me. That ain't what He's called me to do. He's not called me to do it myself. He's called me to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. To gather others around us and to get as many people as possible engaged in this work of service. And when as many people are on board and when all of us are engaged and all of us are working together, then the body of Christ is built up. 
But when we look to just one or we look to just a few, we see what just a one or just a few can do instead of what can happen when we join together. All that's spoken of in verse 11 in the first two phrases of verse 12 is directed toward the goal he mentions at the latter part of verse 12, which is the building up of the body of Christ. Together, the ministers of verse 11 and the saints of verse 12 work together to achieve this divinely appointed goal. Work together. Partners in the gospel. Co-laborers with Christ. Everybody doing what, they, what, what God's gifted them to do. What God's entrusted them to do. Fulfilling the purpose that God has given to them. Everybody working together for the distinct purpose of building up the body of Christ. When all of us are doing our part, the church is healthy and it grows. It grows taller through worship. It grows wider through evangelism. And it grows stronger through discipleship when everybody does the work of ministry. Now, isn't it remarkable that Paul's vision of the body of Christ is that it needs so much work done on it? Now, think about that for just a minute. It's the body of Christ. And Paul's image here is that there's some work that needs to be done. But if we would be mindful of that, it'll keep us from being discouraged when we realize how imperfect the church is. Now come close for just a minute. I believe there are a lot of people who profess to be Christians who are disenfranchised, they're discouraged, they're distraught, Because of how they've witnessed the imperfections of the church. And some of them are so distraught they're out of church. But it will help us just to be mindful that the body of Christ is imperfect. You've heard me say this before. If you ever find a perfect church, do not join it. You'll mess it up. The body of Christ is imperfect. And and if you've been in church very long at all, you've experienced some of the imperfection. Somebody said something to you that cuts you smooth to the quick. And I'll tell you what's worse than I'm saying it about you, it's saying it about your family. Hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me. They're lying. They're lying. We've all, if you've been in church at all, you've experienced the imperfections of the church. But don't let that, don't let that keep you from fellowship with the body of Christ. Because just like the body of Christ is imperfect, you are imperfect. And Jesus, here's the thing, you got to get this. Jesus loved the church in all of its imperfections to the point that he was willing to come and die for it. 
And if he hadn't, we'd all be in a mess. So don't let the imperfections of the body of Christ sidetrack you. So it's remarkable. It's, it's helpful to keep us from being discouraged if we'll just realize how imperfect the church is. People becoming believers, coming to faith in Christ, they're gifted by God. And, they're done, and, and that happens for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. So in spite of the fact that all saints are gifted, and in spite of the fact that the body of Christ is an imperfect entity, we all need the church. And the church needs us. So it's a, it's a both end. And you know what happens? When people come to Christ, and they're gifted, and they don't get distraught with the imperfections of the church, and they engage in the work of service, the body of Christ is built up. It's built up. And know this. Jesus loves His body. And He wants to see His body built up. This, this might help you. Christ is the head of the church, and the head is perfect. We are the body of Christ and imperfect. The head doesn't need any work. It's perfect. The body needs a lot of work. That's us. And Christ has put us into His family, and He's put us into this body that you and I might make one another better. The body of Christ may be built up. I want you to see something important here in this passage. The Bible says the goal of all ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. What Paul is stressing here is the strengthening of the whole, not just the parts. The strengthen of the whole, not just the parts. And that's really not easy for us to grasp in this Western individualistic culture that's, that's bent on what's in it for me. The aim of your ministry as a Christian is the building up of the body as a whole. And so we're in it for the body. So that's why we can't let what individual people say, do, think, or whatever sidetrack us from the work God's called us to. It's the building up of the whole. And while there needs to be individual growth of the individual parts, what Paul's focus is here is on the corporate whole and the corporate building up of the body of Christ. 
So God saved you and he separated you, not just so you could experience grace, but so that you could be a channel by which others experience grace. So we have to ask ourselves the question, if I belong to Jesus, what am I doing to help build up the body of Christ? How am I serving? How am I utilizing the gift that God has given me to build up the body of Christ? Every one of us have to ask ourselves that question. What am I doing to utilize the gift God has given me to build up the body of Christ? You say, you know, pastor, you're just interested in us becoming this ginormous church and, and blah, 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 blah. Now, I, I'm interested in seeing the church be as healthy as God would have it to become. I'm as interested in seeing this community come to faith in Jesus Christ so that they don't split hell wide open. That's what's on my heart. That's what was on Paul's heart. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired him to write what he wrote. He wasn't trying to build the first mega church in Ephesus. He was just trying to build his church to be a healthy body. That's the desire of our... What are you doing? How are you utilizing the gift God has given to you to build up the body of Christ? So, Pastor, I don't know what my gift is. Well, how do I find it? Pretty simple. Start serving. And if you start serving in one fashion and you just don't sense that this is what God's called you to and trusted you to do, then move on from that and move on to something else. And you know what will happen in time? You'll figure out what God's gifted you to do. But a second thing we all have to ask ourselves is this. Do I belong to Jesus? Have I trusted Christ? Because sometimes the reason we've never served is because we've never been born again. We've been playing church, we've been a part of the body, we've been religious, we've been moral, but we've never been grafted in, we've never trusted Jesus. So, have you trusted Christ? Do you know for sure that you've asked Him to come into your life, forgive your sin, be your Savior, that His Spirit lives inside of you? And if you don't know that for sure, then today's the day. Today's the day of salvation to come and give your life to Christ. So the invitation this morning, twofold. First of all, if you've never trusted Christ, we want to invite you to come and give your life to Jesus. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you eternal life. Secondly, what are you doing as a work of service, as a work of ministry to build up the body of Christ? Hey, we're partners together in the gospel. God didn't call you to do everything in the church, but he's called you to do something in the church. What is that something? And what are you doing to help build up the body of Christ? Because that is your purpose. So have you trusted Christ? And if you have, what are you doing with the gifts God's given you to build up the body of Christ? And if you say, you know, I've kind of been on the sidelines. I, I haven't been engaged. I'm not doing anything. What could you do? What's God gifted you to do? And if you say, 
I'm ready to sign up. You talked about it last week. You're talking about it again. I'm ready to sign up. What do I need to do? Well, I think the first thing you ought to do is come to this altar this morning. You say, I can't kneel. That's fine. Sit on the front pew. Come to this altar and say, God, I surrender to what you would have me to do. Show me. And the second thing, grab one of those surveys of service. Pray over that. Mark down. Hey, this is where I believe God would have me to serve. We'll get you plugged in. So this morning, it's a real simple deal. Not only is it a, I'm going to make an affirmation to the Lord, but hey, it's, a, it's time to put our feet to our faith and say, this is what God's called me to do. Dear Lord Jesus, we pray and ask.